The Guardian. I'm John Plunkett, and this is Media Talk. Coming up this week... Right, what are you getting your mum for Christmas? Mm, a kettle? No, oh, not another one. She's got enough to open a shop. Get her a digital radio instead. A radio? No, no, a digital radio. With commercial operators preparing a spoiler campaign and digital switchover pushed back to 2017, we ask, is DAB dead in the water? Also in the podcast, Jana Bennett steps down from her role as the head of BBC Vision... Plus, the Daily Telegraph prepares to charge for its online content, while Virgin Media unveils its game-changing take on video on demand. And... I also have to add that I actually wish I had a friend like him. You know, you're very lucky to have a friend like him. Do you know what? Here we go. Yes! Simon Cowell signs up Cheryl Cole to join him on X Factor USA. This is Media Talk from The Guardian. Now, Matt Wells has unfortunately found himself uh, holed up in the Crown Court on jury service, I should point out. So it'll be me in the hot seat for the next two weeks. Joining me in the pod, we have two of our most reliable media talkers, and they're both making their last appearances of 2010. Paul Robinson is the managing director of Kids Co. TV. Hi there, Paul. Welcome. How was your journey in the snow? No, it's okay. I'm glad you said of 2010. It was sounded a bit final otherwise, John. Not at all. Not at all. <laughs> no, not, not, not ever. And uh, Maggie Brown is also here. She's columnist for Media Guardian. Now, uh, Maggie, I understand you had six inches this morning. Six inches of snow. Thank <laughs> you, Lucky Maggie. Lucky old Maggie. Naughty boys. They're still sniggering. Well, we, we start off as we mean to carry on. It's almost Christmas, so we're going to start this week with one of Media Talk's hoariest old chestnuts. And that's the debate over digital radio. Right, what are you getting your mum for Christmas? Mm, a kettle. Oh, not another one. She's got enough to open a shop. Kettles are us. Not this year, they're not. Get her a digital radio instead. A radio? No, no, a digital radio. All the stations are listed by name, so it's really easy. Plus, she'll be able to find her favourite station at the touch of a button. Do you think she'd do that? Yep. Every time she puts the kettle on. Digital radios start from just £25, and they're a bit more fun than a kettle. Digital radio. More to love. Well, it's a case of anything but love being in the air when it comes to the wireless these days. That advert you just heard, which is meant to give DAB its biggest ever push over Christmas, is threatening to turn the split between BBC and commercial radio into a gaping chasm. The likes of Global and Bauer have declined to run the ad until the BBC agrees to invest more in the DAB transmitter network. And now the UKRD group is planning on running a spoiler campaign telling listeners that a DAB radio may be for Christmas, but might not be for life. That's catchy, isn't it? Meanwhile, Culture Minister Ed Vasey and other big radio cheeses like Tim Davey have all made noises about the FM switch-off date of 2015 looking increasingly unlikely. Now, Paul, you're almost an uh, enthusiastic radio commentator. Is, is this all a bit embarrassing for the radio industry? Yes, it is. I mean, so far, the Radio Centre and the BBC have managed to sort of keep a lid on all of this and sort of hopefully you know, have been keeping the radio industry marching in one direction. But this is a massive explosion of, of vested interests coming to a fore. And, you know, the, the DAB target is an aggressive one. I mean, we're talking about 50% share to secure digital switch-off, and they're not even halfway at half. Uh, to have this sort of um, debate and this sort of horrible sort of public spat of dirty washing is very unhelpful the most the most damaging thing is it confuses the public just the time of the year when they were hoping to sell lots and lots of dab sets for christmas and people may send you know may, may think well maybe i'll buy the ipad instead or the ipod or something else and the real issue here is that about DAB coverage, and that has to match FM before we can seriously think about uh, any kind of digital radio switchover. And the, 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 the 
key point is who's going to pay for it. It could be 100 million, it could yeah. be 200 million pounds. Yes, and the it government's- sounds, doesn't it, as if the, the government left it off their shopping list when they were mugging the BBC over their licence fee deal. Um, they could have put it on, but they didn't. So I think that this is actually one of those sort of moments where people realise that, um, that, you know, the bill has, has to be paid and they don't actually know who's going to pick up the tab. No, well, the, exactly. the, the licence fee settlement, uh, I think, included national DAB, but it didn't include didn't any provision include for local, local exactly. DAB. So and you, be, wonder, yeah. you wonder whether that was actually deliberate or whether it was because of it's done in haste. I mean, the whole thing, we had that debate at the radio festival where, you know, you were very, very animated about your view on it. But, I mean, it does sound as though this has been done over a weekend very quickly and they've just forgotten about local DAB. And, of course, for the local stations, this is a big problem. And also remember that the BBC's lawyers got the little bit put into the yes. final letter that there would be no more um, attempts to get anything out of them or to revisit the, the deal. So we don't know if the government's actually going to stick to that, but it doesn't leave that uh, door open. They can't really tack it on at this moment in time. I'm very interested in the um, the consumer expert group, this this, this body that um, represents a lot of the charities and, and consumers. Um, they, they seem to have become very vociferous about um, DAB over the past few months. I mean, they tore into the replacement scheme, didn't they, in the summer when you could take in your beloved Roberts Radio and get a, a subsidised DAB set and pointed out that that was confusing as well. So um, you have quite a formidable body of a lot of do-gooders worried about older people here, uh, tr- you know, tr- traditional kind of Radio 4 type uh, and local radio listeners. But in so. a way that's not the problem because actually the older audience are the ones who have been buying DAB and I have see. been adopting DAB. The big problem is actually with the younger the audience who ha- and the cars where there aren't, where aren't the sets. And, you know, I, I'm not sure that Global and Bauer saying to the BBC, until you fund it, we're not going to run the ad, is going to make a jot of difference. Of course it's not. But it does, unfortunately, expose horrible cracks. The point is, I think, that there has to be some kind of switchover because commercial radio can't, and the BBC can't afford to continue uh, to pick up the tab for broadcasting in both digital and analogue. So something's got to give. Particularly commercial radio. And, yeah. you, know, and you, see, you see that because they've retreated somewhat from their digital-only stations. The BBC have stuck to theirs. Uh, but for commercial radio, there's less digital stations now than there were two years ago. So I'm guessing it won't be 2015. Can I get two figures from two years from either, both of you about when you think digital switchover is going to happen? 2018. Maggie? I was going to say 2020, but um, because I think the car issue is a really big problem and we're going into clearly a period when uh, we're in a recession or in a very sort of tight period for quite a few years now. Cars are important for overall um, uh, reach but not for share because the average amount of listening done in the car in hours terms is quite small, but cars are an important component but they're not a critical component. A few comments from the blog on this uh, issue. Uh, this is from Free Trade Mark, who said, I think commercial radio is dead in the water. There's nothing on it, which would interest me in the slightest. And much of my listening is now from online sources, whether podcasts, internet stations, or the best music radio, i.e. not decided by focus groups, time shifted onto my iPod. That's presumably not Free Trade Mark Thompson. And this is from the Daily Mail blog. Uh, this is John in Wales, who says, um, if the Queen has to install an aerial to receive the new DAB broadcasts to a static location, what chance have we poor mortals got in getting a tidy reception when they can't give us a decent reception on AM or FM? Well, let's move on to a couple of the other radio stories around this week. And uh, Six Music, more changes. Richard Bacon is to leave. This Saturday's show will be his last and Adam and Joe, the good news for those, their fans is that they're coming back for a Christmas special. The bad news is that looks like it's it from them. 
Uh, Paul, how is uh, now Six Music's future is, uh, is, is guaranteed? How, how have you seen it shape up since then, and where does it go next? Well, I think it's got a pretty good stable of DJs. I mean, it's taken a lot of people from Radio, Radio 1, you know, people like Steve Lamack and Nimone, um, and obviously they've got Lauren Laverne on there and, and so on. It's got a good lineup of DJs, you know, Mark Riley from, from Mark and Lard. Um, I think it's a shame Adam and Joe aren't coming back, because I personally thought they were fantastic. I love them. Um, Richard Bacon, hey, it's fine. Yeah, Richard's got his big career on Radio 5 Live. Look, Six Music is a, a now a very significant station with a million listeners. It will attract talent, have no problem attracting good talent. I don't think this is an issue at all. It's a minor scheduling blip. And Five Live said it was partly down to uh, Richard Bacon's work commitments on uh, ITV4 and he's doing some stuff for BBC3. Uh, do you think it'd be good to see him go five days on, on Five Live? Yeah, I do. I think Friday's a bit odd that he's not on. You know, I do, think, I do think that's a bit strange. I do think you need to be on Monday to Friday. And, you know, on Friday, my behaviour is the same as it is on, on Monday to Thursday in terms of my listening. You know, you feel different because the weekend's coming. But, yeah, I think he's be on Fridays. And over at Absolute Radio, they've launched their latest digital spin-off. First, there was um, Absolute Radio 80s, uh, then there was Absolute Radio 90s, and now we've got the natural extension, Absolute Radio Noughties. Paul, this is part of their strategy in, um, in launching various spin-off sort of niche stations to, to increase their overall audience, and it seems to be working. Well, indeed. Let me just declare an interest. I went to a fantastic Absolute Radio event in London, actually, last week with Elton John, which was just brilliant, oh, playing yes. at the Union Chapel. And they, they did it brilliantly. I have to say, Absolute Radio did a very, very good job. So that's the add-over. But just to say, look, their strategy is they're adding incremental bits of additional share. This is like the plus one channel on TV. They're just adding little bits of incremental share, marginal cost. I worry a bit about them overworking Christian O'Connell because I think it's important that Christian, you know, does his four-hour breakfast show on the main channel properly, and he just may be a bit overused. That's because he's doing an hour-long show on the on the news station. It's the innovation, isn't it? But you know, they're, they're doing the right thing and marketing innovation. Yeah, they're marketing innovation. Yeah. They'll add a bit of extra share, and good on them. Really, they're, they're really innovating that company, and I think good on them. And finally, we've had the uh, the Radio Four guest editors confirmed. They include Colin Firth, Richard Ingrams, Dame Clara Firth, but not Katie Price. Uh, Maggie, were you sad to see um, everyone's favourite former glamour model not editing uh, the, the country's most popular speech breakfast show? Well, I did say that we'd have some very good things on plastic surgery, but um, these sound like very safe choices, actually. Colin Firth, uh, I'll be interested to know if he has, you know, a lot of, the problem with a lot of actors is they look very nice and they speak other people's lines and you think they're frightfully interesting. And then when you actually go to speak to them, you find that they're as dull as dishwater. So I hope that um, I'm proved wrong by his uh, guest editing. But I've been having a very um, interesting uh, uh, few days because I've been holed up with the bishops, the Church of England bishops um, at Windsor Castle, um, where they've been talking about the media. And one of the interesting things that emerged there was how cosy Chris Evans was with the Bishop of York, Archbishop of York, sorry, John Sentamu. And um, I, I was quite quite surprised to, 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 to hear that uh, Chris is taking his uh, breakfast show, all three hours of it, to the Archbishop's Kitchen uh, at, at his palace in, in uh, York on the 23rd of um, December. OK, so a Christmas special. A Christmas special. Don't, don't forget your Bible or your hymn sheet, maybe. <laughs> Well, they're having, they're having a, a, a sort of a webcast as well. So if you want to see what an archbishop's kitchen in a 13th century medieval palace looks like, two miles outside of York Minster, I'd say, uh, you know. I have always wondered, Maggie, so now, now, now I will find out. You can read more about DAB and all things radio at mediaguardian.co.uk. You're listening to Media Talk, and I'm John Plunkett, sitting in for Matt Wells this week. Time now to head into our news in brief section. And Jaina Bennett is stepping down from her role as head of BBC Vision and moving to a, a new commercial role expected to be with BBC Worldwide. Maggie, I wonder, what, what can we read into this timing and why do you think Jaina's going? Well, partly there's a gap at BBC uh, Worldwide and that 
uh, Wayne Garvey um, has disappeared and gone off, who is doing the, the job or part of the job as creative director. He's gone off to all three media. The second side of it, of course, is that the BBC is desperate to downsize its top uh, management and has declared a quarter cut that needs to be implemented. And we've seen Mark, Tom- Mark Byford go. Um, she also has um, an extremely large salary. And she oh, has done the job. 517 Yes, and right? she's yeah. also um, done the job uh, for nearly um, seven, eight years now. It's a combination of factors, I think. I've been expecting her to move uh, for some time. The other thing is she does have international experience, to be fair to her. She, she uh, did um, uh, the usual kind of couple of years uh, over at the Discovery Channels um, in, in near Washington. And... Um, I suspect she also just wants a, a change, to be honest. And the head of vision role was a, is, a, is a new job. She was the first person to have it, came into sort of being about four yes. years ago. And she did face criticism, people asking, well, we've already got channel controllers, why do we need a head of BBC Vision? But it's, it's, a, it's a bigger job than some people appreciate. Well, the, the issue now really, and we've seen it at Channel 4, where um, the, the reorganisation there creates a sort of chief operating officer. Now, Channel 4 isn't as complicated as the BBC. It doesn't have as many channels. But there is an argument that you do need somebody overseeing the whole of the waterfront, a bit like a general, and making sure that if you're doing the talent deals, you're doing them with an eye to servicing a range of outlets, for example, at the right price. The other thing is, remember, they've lost Darren Childs, who was running their overseas channels, um, and he's gone off to run UK TV. So they do actually need um, somebody there, although the BBC America channels have been sort of hived off from sort of London's control. Uh, The other thing is I had thought that Lorraine Hegarsey might have uh, been uh, found a berth at BBC Worldwide to do something of the same job. So um, clearly there may be a job for her, but it doesn't look as if um, she's going to be rostered. Well, perhaps Paul Hegarsey will be a a contender for the the BBC Vision job or whatever job uh, takes its place. Yeah, I think what's interesting here is that I hope the BBC aren't just moving executives around to make it look as though they're actually saving money in the home services and then moving Jana into BBC Worldwide. I mean, it should be that she's doing that job because she's the right person. And I I, I do think about that a bit because, you know, Jana is not particularly a commercial person. She works Discovery, but, you know, Darren Childs was doing um, distribution deals, basically. He was running the commercial side of, of rolling those channels out he wasn't involved in the creative aspect so i think the question is what is she going to do at worldwide and is it really the right job for her and is she the right person for that job um, as far as the the domestic channels are concerned i think maggie's right that uh, now with you know four four national networks there's a bigger coordination job than before and you've got to coordinate buying talent scheduling and, and all that so clearly there's a job to be done whether it's five hundred thousand a year i hope not and also with going back a little way Jen, um, jenny bramsky leslie douglas jay hunt uh, and now um, Jane and Bennett moving on is there, is there is it a question of lack of female talent at the top of the BBC as well is that, is that in danger of becoming an issue I don't think that's the case at all I mean of those people Bramsky for example retired over the retirement age uh, Jay Hunt has taken a job in a, in a, in a very exciting uh, broadcaster at a point of huge change and, and complete overhaul of the schedule I, I think women have been quite overrepresented in some ways at the very top of the BBC uh, I, we don't know um, if or how the um, appointment will be, f- will be will be filled. There are various um, suggestions around the place, but uh, I suspect we might be seeing much more of a shake-up anyway because 
what we haven't discussed here is that the BBC has to come to terms with what is basically a licence fee freeze, which they were not expecting for two years, followed by the 16% cut and all other, other kind of calls on their money, like the pension fund black hole. So there's, there's got to be um, a reinvention, really, of, of the management structure to make it flatter and, and simpler and, uh, that, that, and presumably less costly. Anyway, away from the BBC, the South Bank Show Awards have been rescued by Sky Arts. And uh, now, Maggie, I, I'm thinking you'd be the top of the invite list for this. <laughs> well, I am very fond of Sky Arts. And as I think I said in my performance in the podcast last week, I've been watching the Chekhov shorts, which I think are really jolly good. Um, I think that this is all part of uh, B Sky B's sort of marketing and repositioning. Um, it's going to the Dorchester Hotel. Um, it's picking up where ITV declined to go. Um, it's giving them its best shot, as far as I can tell. I mean, it's going to be broadcast at nine o'clock as live, a bit like the way you would you would do the BAFTAs. Um, and they've also got um, a series of um, quite high-profile uh, documentaries, although there'll be tiny audiences uh, flowing out after the awards have been presented. So it's, it, it's all part of B-Sky-B's attempts to say to uh, what you might call the sort of the, the establishment, look, you know, we are actually contributing to the, the, to the creative life of Britain. And that's, that's what it's about. Paul, it does, Sky Arts doesn't have a huge amount of uh, uh, originally commissioned programming, but, but in terms of profile and, uh, and some of the stuff it does, I, I get the impression it's giving BBC4 a, a, a run for its money. Yeah, I think it's not a bad channel, but I think Maggie's got it absolutely right. Uh, this is Sky um, growing up, you know, 10 million subscribers. They need to not just do the popular things, but also do the things that are good for their reputation. And obviously Sky News has always been the channel that's carried that sort of banner. Um, Sky Arts is another plank of that same strategy, and I think we'll see them investing more in Sky Arts, because although Melvin it's, Bragg as well. They got Melvin now Bragg as, as, their, exactly. as their ambassador, you know, you know I, in the House of yeah, Lords. I mean, it now is the de facto place you're going to go for arts. If you if you're going to go from one place first. You'll go to Sky Arts. So, you know, it's a clever strategy. It's smart. It's good use of their money. And, uh, you know, ultimately, uh, people benefit from this. So it's good. And talking about Sky's use of their money, uh, Sky News is launching its first foreign language service. It'll broadcast in Arabic across the Middle East and North Africa. Now, Paul, it's an interesting expansion of, uh, of Sky News at a time when other commercial broadcasters are having to rein in their budgets. Well, I think they're probably thinking that they can leverage all of the back office, all of the news gathering, and basically it's just a language service, effectively. So uh, in that sense, the marginal cost of doing this is pretty, pretty small. Um, for Sky, obviously, as they've now got to the point where they are, they're going to have to look at increasingly serving niches to, to grow their business. And so you know, Arabic is one obvious language you might target. They might go for Turkish or they might go for Greek or something like that. So I think it's a natural strategy. You know, they're going to start looking at smaller and smaller subgroups to just expand their base having lost uh we're having about to lose channel five as well as, as a client maybe yeah. an arabic client with lots of money is, is or partners quite useful and you know the timing's very good because the middle east is coming up you know i mean there, there was a, a couple of years ago you'd go there and you'd just see loads of build, buildings unfinished now you know money's flowing back in you know i'm certainly finding from my own experience in fact pay television in in that part of the world is doing very well you know wealth has come back it's a great time to launch it and it's going to be backed by the Manchester City billionaire owner, Sheikh Mansour, and it will be based in, in Abu Dhabi. Uh, Maggie, I'm guessing that the, the key uh, rivals that will be targeting will be channels like Al Jazeera and also the BBC's overseas absolutely. news services. Absolutely, yes, absolutely. And, um, well, I mean, competition is good. And finally, some interesting news from Telegraph Towers who say they're going to start charging for some of their online content. Um, now, Maggie, it's, it's pay, but it's not necessarily wall. Is that correct? Well, that's right. I mean, it seems to be more like the Financial Times approach, where you um, can access some content, but then after a certain point, if you want to go deeper, 
uh, you'll have to pay. They're being quite sort of evasive, I think, about the details. But what this shows is this um, probing, really, of uh, people's willingness or unwillingness to uh, pay for content that they really uh, respect. I, I, d I don't know if it will work or not. Uh, we've seen the figures from the Times. We've seen the kind of link-up between uh, Murdoch and, and um, Apple. Uh, everybody is basically thrashing around looking for a way of making money other than giving their content away. And they're looking at iPads and iPhones, of course, and I think there are going to be one million iPads in the UK by the end of the year, maybe six million by the end of 2014. So it's clearly in a, a huge growth area, Paul, but the question remains, will people be prepared to pay for news in the iPads any more than they uh, may do at the moment on, online? I think it's a really difficult area. People expect that content to be free and you've got to change attitudes and you've got to change the way people think about things and I think that's very, very difficult. I, I think they're also right to try and expand onto other platforms. The world's going to a place where you know, we're expecting content to be on any application, any platform that's available. But whether you can get paid for it is the critical thing and I think that's a very, very challenging uh, very but challenging I, issue. I really do like the idea of the iPad uh, newspaper, though, mm. in, in the sense that it's it's a definable uh, beginning and an end product. It's edited. It will take you a certain amount of time to read, and you can presumably, if you if you if you're buying it, you get to trust it. It seems to me uh, to be a quite sensible thing. And I, I remember predicting here some months ago when when the Times started going down this route that. If they take the Sky model, which I don't know if they will, but it is perfectly possible that um, we will be getting uh, offers of subsidised iPads or some kind of subsidised... No, that would be nice. I think, well, they'll have to do it, won't they, because that's what they did with, uh, with, with set-top recorders and, uh, you know, switch over to digital, be Sky B. Whether they can get Apple, though, to put their hands in their pockets, I doubt, because I well, don't think they need to. They, well, but it might be that the Times has to. The Times has to do it, yeah. Maybe there'll be free handouts or at tube stations. Or have to. Well, that would be very nice. That would be very nice, too. yes. Far better than your metro. And is there one piece of Telegraph content you pay for, Maggie? A bit of free market research for the Barclay Brothers? <laughs> the Alex cartoon, maybe? The Alex cartoon, well, no, I don't. I, no, there isn't, actually, to be absolutely frank. Paul? No, nothing. Well, encouraging news there for the Telegraph. More on these stories at mediaguardian.co.uk. <laughs> There's been some big news from Virgin Media this week. They've announced a game-changing combination of TV, video-on-demand and internet service that will be ready in just a few weeks' time. The new offering is sure to be a thumb in the eye for UView, the BBC-backed venture to bring VOD to Freeview and Freesat that's set to launch in around six months' time. Virgin says the enhanced VOD service will do for TV what the iPhone's done for mobiles. That means it's got rubbish reception. Uh, which, uh, Maggie and Paul, it's, it's, it's quite a claim, isn't it? Do, do you buy into it, Paul? I think the idea is good. The claim is maybe slightly overinflated. I mean, I think what uh, Virgin is sort of gambling on is, A, uh, a big differentiator from Sky, and that's a smart thing to do. Um, and secondly, if you have got a PVR, you know from your own behaviour that what you do is you, you do watch differently. You go to the PVR first, you search down the PVR. Is there anything on the PVR you want to watch? If there's nothing on the PVR, you then go to the live channel. I think that's pretty much – does that work that no, way that, in your that, household? No, I don't work like that. You don't? No, okay. I don't. Okay. But, well, okay. I, but I do have, obviously, Sky anytime. What, but, what but I, Dulles, I guess, with six inches – no, in Dallas, you probably were differently. We don't know, the, we don't the know the what it's going to be like, no. do we? This is what I no, think is the real the, problem. The, but to finish the point, the idea is if you be, believe that some people do behave like that, and I think there is research to support that assertion, if you then give them loads of stuff rather than just some stuff, you know, we're talking about 4,600 hours, that's a huge library. Suddenly you've got the blockbuster video library in your, in your living room. That's a pretty compelling offer. I think the big challenge is how do you find your way around it? Because with so much stuff, you need really, really good navigation. 
because otherwise you'd be overwhelmed. When when uh, when Sky first introduced its PVR, it used to drive me bonkers because they used to be very bossy about it, and you would have a little notice would come up and tell you that some program was on, and they did go down this route. But they a stopped bit, doing that. Then very they fast. stopped doing it yes, very fast yes. because they were recording programs they thought you might want, and I thought this was absolutely outrageous, and they stopped it. But that's what Last FM does. It's a recommendation. I know. Engine. I understand that. Yes. But 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 this sounds suspiciously with this sort of rather bossy overtones. We know what you want. We, we know I don't what your think so. Like. No, we I will record so. these programs for you and we will stack them up for you and they'll all be there and you'll turn on but, and then, you know, we will direct you there. I don't know. The, the real problem with all these things is, A, it's all hype at the moment. They've waited to launch it because they can't actually stop UView, which is what they... What, Virgin were desperately trying to do. And third, most people only have one of these systems. I mean, I have uh, BSCABI. Um, am I going to switch to um, Virgin? Well, no, because it doesn't, you know, well, but no, but, so no, therefore but, but it's for, very hard for us to compare at this point in time. But for Virgin customers, their offerings initially, they've said their base of 3.7 million, so it's going to go to the Virgin customers. So it's definitely adding more value for them. Yes, I agree. The question about whether you switch from Sky to Virgin, sure, different point, but then maybe they're thinking they're going to attract people who've currently got no pay TV, which is still obviously, you know, but nearly I mean, half the, the population. But I you watch your television. I mean, I still mm, go well, to I, the... I, watch, I, I do what Paul does. I get really? it on the PVR, then look at the channels, and if I'm really desperate, I look look at Sky anytime. And research, and research then I get a shows book. that is what most people do when they've got a PVR. How do you watch it, Maggie? Well, I, I, look, I, I go to the uh, entertainment page and I look at BBC One, Two, Three, Four, Five, and then I have a poke around. I think it may be about the amount of snow you've got at home. It changes back. I think it's age, actually. But, but the other thing about, very old. No, you're not. You're not at all. But, and the other thing about UV, very briefly, is I, I think we should say that actually you know, UVU has slightly misrepresented itself and it talks about being an open platform. It's actually not an open platform. Unless you adhere to their particular standards... You can't get on. Um, and so, you know, I think this is bringing competition. And that's a good thing for consumers because otherwise UVU could risk being dominant, which would not provide choice for consumers, would drive up prices and Virgin is competing. And that must be healthy. Yes, Two things that stood out for me on the, on the, on the Virgin offer. Well, one that is uh, powered by TiVo, which is interesting because uh, I think it's about 10 years since they tried to break the UK market and sort of sloped off again. And the other thing is it, it costs £26.50 a month, which uh, uh, we're not quite sure what it's going to look like, but we know how much it's going to cost, which uh, would frankly uh, make me uh, shrink. Yes, plus £199 for the actual uh, device as well. So, I mean, not not going to break the bank, but it's all quite... It adds up, doesn't still, it? Still cheaper than Sky if you're going to buy all the Sky package. You know, I mean, in that sense, it's not, it's not premium priced in that sense at all, is it? Well, look, you know, it will be out there. People will probably take it up. And TiVo, interestingly, are doing deals not just with Virgin. They're doing deals with other cable operators around Europe. Ono, for example, in Spain, the leading operator there, have also signed up with TiVo. So you're going to see these TiVo models appearing all around Europe, not just in the UK. And just finally on this, uh, this new Virgin offering, I think one of, the, one of the key attractions for some people will be the fact you can access eBay and, and uh, Facebook and, and such like through it. Uh, but I think for some people, including me, I'm f- fighting a, a losing battle at home to keep the computer out the, uh, out the living room. It will be an absolute uh, horror deterrent, the idea that I'll get back and want to watch country file and, and someone's updating their facebook page so at, the, at the end of the day though you know if you're with your family or partner or whatever you know tv is always going to win over you doing your facebook page because i mean you know you doing your facebook page is great for you but boring for everybody else maybe embarrassing well it depends what you depends what you're writing depends what i'm up course. to yes, exactly it's pretty boring um, don't wish to know whoever you are right now, Maggie, you were saying how much you liked uh, Miranda last week, and it I turns do. out you're not alone. It's, no. now, it's now officially a mainstream hit. How long before it gets nicked by BBC One? Very soon, I suspect. One of the tragedies of being, I suppose, the controller of BBC Two in charge of a hit, but also maybe that's why you do need a sort of over, overarching figure, sort of Jaina Bennett to stroke two. You no, know, it got 3.7 million uh, 
on its first outing this week, which is up 700,000 extra people. As I said last week, it's very heavily um, geared, the audience is very heavily geared towards what you might call middle-aged women, a bit like Miranda. I think it's, I think it's wonderful. It got another million That's on why I didn't repeat. watch it then, clearly. No, you're, you're in the wrong demographic. <laughs> Absolutely, so women are God. striking back. <laughs> And uh, the, now, uh, the trip, another BBC Two company, which, I, which I'm absolutely loving. I think it's fantastic, feel good TV, but only gets a million odd viewers, maybe a few more. Either of you viewers? No, I'm not. No, hence the one million audience. If you want to talk about X Factor, I can talk about that till the cows come home. Let's talk about the X Factor then. Were you sad to see Wagner go? I was, actually, because he's brought a bit of life to the thing, a bit of fun. I mean, he can't sing. Of course he can't. And, I mean, you know that if Wagner goes in the bottom two, the judges are never going to support him and he was going to go. But, yeah, I, I'm quite sad to see him go. I, I think that, uh, you know, there are a couple of people there who survived rather too long and should have gone before him. But, um, yeah, I'm sad to see him go. Pictured in the, in the sun this week, uh, sunny autographs in a chip shop in Dudley. So it's not true that only the winners go on to fame and fortune on the X Factor. I hope they were nice champs. Uh, speaking of the X Factor, Cheryl Cole has signed up to X Factor USA for three million pounds now and there's no uh, no debate that she's not worth every penny but um, there are a lot of brits on american tv now piers morgan cat dealey uh, vernon Kay, uh, apparently um but none of them have geordie accents so uh, paul how, how do you um, how do you rate cheryl's chances of making it big uh, stateside way a uh, very i think pretty good she i mean she's right. got the nice the Ge- teeth. geordie accent she's got nice teeth hasn't she and that's what the americans look for they reckon that you know we've got awful teeth and they they really focus on the teeth cheryl is a you know, beautiful woman um hasn't got a huge amount to say but she's you know sort of nice totty that will sit next to simon cowell i think she'll do really really well Maggie? I think we deserve a bit of a rest from her, to be honest. I think when she comes back, we'll probably be quite pleased to welcome her. Well, I, I think she's been a bit she's overexposed. Lost, she has been over. I mean, front page of the Sun, you know, that uh, Cheryl Cole has decided, you know, she's not going to support Katie. You know, it's, it's hardly the most important news of the week, surely. I think we all need distracting, to be honest. Yeah, I'm but I'm glad she's going to the incredible. states. It'd be very good for her. She can come back. We can welcome her back. Um, but she'll do very, very well. I mean, the big question is who's going to be on the X Factor in the UK. Well, it might be Cheryl, because uh, Len Goodman and Bruno uh, Tonioli on Strictly Commute, uh, very eco-unfriendly yeah. commute between, uh, between Los Angeles and London. And so does uh, Piers Morgan. I mean, they all commute, mm, don't they? But if not, who? If you're going to mentor acts as well, I don't know. I, there's going to be clearly a big shake-up, isn't there? Um, no, I, I look good luck to her, but um, I, I think she'll do very, very well. I mean, I think, she, I think she's got all the things that they want in American television. She's, she's not too controversial. She's bland enough. She's beautiful, you know, young, attractive, can sing. Yeah, good. <laughs> well, that's good. Dabbing well, with faint praise, I guess, for me. Well, it's almost time to wave goodbye. But before we do, uh, Maggie and Paul, do you want to tell us something you've learned from your week in media? I think we'll start with Maggie. Well, do you know, um, I've been with the bishops a lot, as I keep saying, and uh, they all love Rev, you know, the sitcom. But I have to report, although it is coming back, it hasn't actually been finalised and signed off yet. It hasn't been commissioned. So it's commissioned, but it hasn't, the deal hasn't been struck yet, which is slightly worrying. Wasn't Rev just Vicar of Dibley in a city? No, it wasn't. It was completely different. It didn't have Dawn French for a start. And uh, Paul? Uh, I was at Radio 1 this week and I was really amazed to see how much work they're doing into putting video onto radio. And they've now got whole teams whose job it is to create video. And, and the reason is that apparently they say that you know, young audiences, if they see a device like an iPod or something and there's audio coming out and there's just a sort of a still saying Radio 1 Live, they just it's think it's enough. completely dead. It's not enough. They want pictures. So Radio 1 is becoming a de facto television service. Is it an ageing experience visiting Radio 1, Paul? I like going in there. The good news is that Claire is on reception's the same receptionist who's there when I was there 20 years ago. Really? Yes, There's she lots has. of paparazzi She hasn't outside. retired yet. She hasn't retired, no. Do they, do they take your photographs? They welcome, me, in, they welcome me reasonably warmly. It's quite nice. 
Well, I'll tell you what I've learned, because I know you, you both want to ask, although you haven't. Uh, I learned from the uh, continuing revelations of the Guardian's WikiLeaks coverage that uh, Sir Elton John got paid a million pounds to perform at the birthday bash for the son-in-law of the Kazakhstan president. Only a million? Only a million. It would have been more had he already edited the uh, Independent at that time. I think right? Absolute Radio paid him more. Um, uh, and that was broadcast in HD, of course, wasn't it, on Absolute Radio? It was. Excellent stuff. Well, thank you, Maggie Brown and uh, Paul Robinson. Post your feedback on everything you've just heard on our blog. That's guardian.co.uk slash mediatalk. Or follow me on Twitter, which is at johnplunkett149. Media Talk's produced by Ben Green. I'm John Plunkett. See you again next week. For more great downloads, go to guardian.co.uk forward slash audio.